Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. the hp podcast number 256 your favorite weekly video game podcast hosted by the most handsome boys you know i'm ben and with me here today is dave and brandon dave i wanted to ask you a question real quick for about a year now i've been using the intro of the hosted by the most handsome boys you know and a thought just occurred to me that what if we aren't like is that mm. too existential for the well, intro yeah, well, I mean, we know it's 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 handsome is a subjective thing, and mm-hmm. and uh, we, we were talking about uh, a man named Ryan Gosling before we started recording. Yeah, and I think <laughs> we all. I'm going to say Ryan Gosling is more handsome than me. We've talked about Idris Elba. Sorry, Idris Elba in the past, and he's more handsome than right. me. So I, I think it's uh, I think it's a nice gesture, Ben. But um, I don't think we're the most handsome. We're the most handsome men on this podcast right now. How about that? Well. I, I mean, I see where you're coming from, Dave, but I, I have one objection. I use the phrase, the most handsome boys you know. Do you know okay. Ryan Gosling? Define no. Are you on a first name basis with... Is he on a first name basis with you? What? <laughs> Why did you flip it like I that? Because like, you're I, on a first name basis with him. You know him by oh, his yeah. first name. Does he know you by your Ryan first name? Ryan and I go way back. Yeah. I mean, he's Canadian. That's true. You guys all know each other. Uh, I think he actually grew up in... Uh, no. So the city I moved from, Burlington, uh, just this past summer, he went to high school there. So hmm. connection is closer than you think. You okay. guys have that uh, coat factory there. <laughs> <laughs> when I first moved to Burlington, uh, I actually said the word Burlington on a podcast, and, and that's exactly what you said to me, is I love your coat factory. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different Burlington. <laughs> well... I also always start the show off, and not always, but occasionally I'll start the show off by saying hello, ladies and gentlemen, and let's, let's be real. It's just gentlemen. Like, maybe. I mean, no, it, it is. I'm sorry to tell you. Uh, somebody said their daughter was listening with them last week. Does that count? Yeah, sure. The female in the audience. That's true. 
That is fair. My my wife is upstairs. Yeah. She can hear mumbling, but it's it's audible. So that's pretty close know. to listening. Honestly, can she hear me <laughs> mumbling though. <laughs> we're, we're in the handsome phantom marketing department. We're, we're being really ambitious here with what uh, listeners are. Speaking of handsome phantom, Brandon, I'm enjoying your shirt selection this evening. Swag, swag. This uh, this is probably some of the best made shirts I've ever experienced in my entire life. I've wore this like hundreds of times since we got them. Like eight years ago yeah and uh yeah they just keep going but they just keep going (laughs) eight years ago you were still in high school i don't think we got them then how old are you it was it's close enough i just had my 10 year 10 year reunion but okay yeah okay fair enough uh but it wasn't eight years ago anyway i'm very literal tonight very literal tonight um, well, it's good to see you guys. My my handsome phantom shirts, uh, which by the way, I think you can still get on Amazon. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think we still sell them on Amazon. Um, my my handsome phantom shirt is just starting to show some signs of fading. Just starting to, but I have four of them. So in fairness, I have four that I rotate through. They're different sizes, so it depends on if it's a fat day or not. You know. Uh, <laughs> now, <laughs> now it's vintage. It's got the patina on it. Yeah, a little bit. I don't wear them as often <laughs> as I used to. It's funny because people are like, hey. I, I see you you wear a lot of stuff like I my job I work with LSM and I have like one of each of our shirts as, that we've ever made and people are like you wear a lot of their merch and I'm like that is my entire wardrobe whatever I'm doing at the moment is my entire wardrobe like I don't care about fashion it's just whatever free shirts I have from where I'm working when I worked at a college all my shirts were from a college when I worked at the when I had the brewery all my shirts were from the brewery so yeah I just I don't care I want I, I think at some point, I want to pull the Steve Jobs, not the part where he uh, didn't pay attention to his doctors and died because he was trying to heal himself, but the part where he just wore one outfit every day. I think I want to try that. I want to do the other one. No, I don't think you should. <laughs> well, you could have you your thing, both. Ben, and I can have my thing. Come on. That doesn't That's, seem I mean, fair. That is, <laughs> as your friend, I'm going to uh, decline. Uh, real radical where he's a millionaire I'll, I'll yeah that, that one probably would be nice too uh real radic is in the chat he says you guys don't own any designer clothes to my knowledge uh no i don't no fine designer is old name radic would like no uh, absolutely any Gucci not belts <laughs> yeah it's old <laughs> navy designer yes it is now um well, designed to be amazing <laughs> This is the HP podcast. We talk about video games. <laughs> what the fuck? We're close up Burlington Co Factory, where Dave lives. Uh, you can also support us over on patreon.com slash hands of We appreciate your support. You can sign up for as little as a dollar a month just to help support your boys. We appreciate it. If you're an audio listener, you get the shows ad free and a day early if you are a patron. And if, uh, if, if you're here live with us or you watch on YouTube, that's totally fine. We appreciate you too. All we ask is that you drop a like. Just drop a like on the video. Thank you. I, I was giving a pause there to let people have a chance. And if you want to hang out with us, you can go over to handsomephantom.com slash discord where you can hang out. And I don't even know what's been going on in there this week because it's been a mess. There was anime some, slander. There was some anime stuff. There was some skull and bones talk for some reason. And um, Dave, are we going to talk about skull and bones more later? No, oh, okay. I was not able to play because uh, fuck Ubisoft. Okay, that I think that's an evergreen statement, pretty much. I can give my <laughs> no, it is, I can give my uh, 
my reaction to other people's reaction, but I don't think anybody wants to hear that. So I'll just withhold my 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 um, in-depth see if or sorry um, skull and bones coverage <laughs> until the game releases in uh, eight short weeks. D- How about that, Dave? You say that people wouldn't want you to react to reactions, but you know that sort of thing is like incredibly popular on the that internet, is right? Very true. So uh, yeah, and I I actually saw an example of this that kind of. Uh, aggravated me quite a bit. So Tim the Tatman had a uh, a YouTube video that had almost five million views of him watching somebody else's video. Yeah. Um, and I thought that's really lazy, but it happens a lot, unfortunately, in our medium. But luckily, the original video that he was reacting to had fourteen million views. So was it the um, Beard least. Meets Food reaction video he did? No, oh, okay. it was um, it was streamers getting caught cheating. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was really good video, but like a minute in, I'm like, I'm not giving you the view yeah. because this is this is a very lazy way to create content. See, so. I very much I will I can appreciate a YouTube reaction video because they actually have to be there for the content. The the thing that was going around on Twitch, uh, it's not as bad as it was, but for a while on Twitch, people were like, oh, let's do a reaction to this video, and then they would pull up the video and like go do something else. Like XQC was doing it a ton. And they, he would just literally pull up like a 20 minute video, go do something else and just farm view hours from it. And I'm like, that's definitely not cool. I can understand. I have a, I have a bit of a mixed feeling about the reaction stuff on YouTube, but um, the reaction stuff on, on Twitch is just downright stupid most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be able to add something to it or Correct. it's not really anything yeah. new. Transformative content. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's the legal term for it as far as I understand. Speaking of legalities, let's get into the show. This first one, we're going to talk about the Insomniac League. And, well, we'll see where it, where it takes us. On December 12th, the Residia, 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 ransomware group claimed responsibility for a significant data breach involving Sony Insomniac's games. Sony's Insomniac games. Holding over 1.3 million files, equivalent to 1.67 terabytes, hostage and demanding $2 million ransom. Following the expiration of the one-week deadline for payment, Reseda made good on its threat, releasing the stolen data. The leaked information encompasses internal HR documents, Slack conversations among employees, and critical details about the unreleased Wolverine video game, including level design specifics, characters, and actual screenshots and video. The breach also revealed a signed publishing agreement between Sony and Marvel, outlining plans for three upcoming X-Men games. The initial game, Wolverine, is slated for release by September 1st, 2025, with the subsequent titles due by the end of 2029 and 2033, respectively. Resenda justified his actions, justified, this is their justification, (laughs) by stating their primary motivation was financial gain, targeting game developers they perceived as vulnerable. Despite Sony launching an investigation, Resenda remains defiant, suggesting the matter should be handled internally. Remarkably, Reseda's ransom notice allowed anyone to bid on the data, and it appears that some of the some of it was indeed purchased. While they specified that any acquired data should not be resold, compliance with this rule remains uncertain. It's noteworthy that they exclusively targeted Insomniac Games within Sony, differentiating this incident from a separate attack in May that exposed personal data of 6,800 current and former employees attributed to the CLOP ransomware group. Now, I don't want to go through necessarily and break down every piece of information well we can't we don't have time to do that every piece of information but i did just want to get high level thoughts to start out with about this leak other leaks like it um and go from there brandon let's kick it off with you i'm sure you heard about this over the weekend yeah absolutely and uh 
kind of a crazy thing. I mean, 1.67 terabytes is a staggering amount of data to be leaked um, from one of the biggest gaming companies uh, in existence, um, I would say. Um, and uh, yeah, it was kind of interesting seeing this come out. I saw a lot of strange discourse about what was leaked. I've watched a little bit, but I'm honestly trying to mostly stay away. Um, I was more interested around the leak and how toxic and uh, stupid gamers are. I mean, we kind of keep going back to this over and over again, but I, I saw a lot of people talking shit on it who just clearly have no understanding of how game development works whatsoever or what like early builds of games look like. Um, and uh, moreover, I guess I just feel like, you know, aside from the data being leaked, right, personally, from these people being leaked, which is truly heinous and an awful thing. I mean, how disappointing is it to have all of your work put out there exceptionally before it's even close? Like, that has to be so just heartbreaking and discouraging. Um, so I really feel for these employees in many ways. I mean, obviously the the um, privacy uh, way, but also, you know, I don't know. It would completely unmotivate me to want to continue um i mean obviously they're going to but yeah it's just it's really crazy how they justify this um and i saw this on twitter so i can't you know claim this as my own but i just don't understand why game companies are the ones that get targeted for this sort of thing it's just like there's so many other ways and so many other shittier things you could hack not that i'm saying it would be good to leak data either way but like why? I don't know. Maybe because they have money, because they just had a successful game, but I don't yeah, know. I mean, just to comment on that piece of it, I think it probably happens plenty in other spheres. We just aren't as tuned into it because, well, we're in the gaming sphere, so we see that more. And honestly, I think a lot of other big companies pay them because their information is more confidential and potentially more uh, threatening to their profits than than a game leak but that's just my guess i don't know dave uh your high level thoughts on on this leak and leaks like it yeah i mean um a lot came out and i'm wondering if insomniac was targeted specifically just because um the result of this leak is that insomniac had a lot that they had not revealed not just the gameplay and the screenshots from wolverine but um that roadmap that that kind of revealed a lot about what one of Sony's biggest studios um, is planning for the next 10 years. And it's not just a slate of games and sequels. It's that's like a whole universe they're building. And, and um, you know, I, I guess that's if, if, if you're a, if you're a leaker and you have that information, like you're in a very high leverage position. So I suspect they probably thought they were in a good position to actually get money from out of Sony and Insomniac. So um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a shitty situation. I agree with Brandon that it's it. There's a lot of stupid people out there, and I bet IGN already has a review in progress posted. Um, <laughs> it's I uh, on the other side. Like I did actually watch the footage, like all of it. Um, I don't normally engage in in leak stuff, but I was generally curious to see what direction they were going with Wolverine and. Um, I, I did want to say that it, it was kind of unique seeing uh, a vertical slice. I've seen I've heard that term used so many times and I never I thought I knew what it was. But then when I saw what a vertical slice actually is in action, I thought, oh, 
okay, this makes sense. So, you know, we get a rough idea of what animation looks like and what some of the gameplay is. And I thought it was interesting that like they actually had text showing like where um, certain pieces of narrative would be input into the game in the final version. So I thought, you know, the, the one positive for me anyways, is I thought it was a pretty interesting look in, in, into the game making progress, especially for a big game like this. But, um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, by the time Wolverine comes out, no one's going to remember this. So the idiots, the mouth breathers who think this is an actual representation of what the game is going to be. Um, they also have short memories. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely just to reiterate what you guys said. It sucks for anybody's work to get hacked and to be shown early, and obviously tons of personal data for the actual employees. Who knows? Uh, obviously, I'm not going to go dig through it all, and those who are aren't going to have good intentions, most likely. But the actual personal data uh, of anyone getting leaked uh, sucks. I would assume you know all sorts of social security numbers, all that kind of stuff. Everything's probably in there to some extent if they had uh, any of their financial data, but. Um, with that said, Dave, you're right about being able to see some of that work in progress stuff. And there are the, that is a vertical slice. There's also the vertical slice, which is like when somebody takes stuff to a show, like to, to E3 or something, or, or long live uh, E3, but uh, to PAX, where they would um, they'll basically make a specific section of the game and just use that vertical slice of the game and really hone that piece out. And the rest of the game still, you know, in shambles but they've really refined that piece so that they can show it off. And um, it, it's clear that what was part of what was leaked was definitely like, here's a collaboration or a, a, whatever the word is, uh, a combination of a bunch of the different stuff that we were doing. Uh, and we want to show it off internally. And uh, yeah, I, I think it would be cool if developers did release more of that stuff ahead of time. I mean, I'm not asking for us to see stuff from games that are six years away or something, but I think it would be cool to see some more of that behind the scenes stuff, early stuff. Uh, and even if that's after the game comes out, that'd be, that's fine with me, obviously. But I think, I think seeing that stuff is really neat. Um, yeah. It sucks that this is the way we got to get that experience, especially for those developers. But I do think it's, it's really cool. Um, so yeah. Sony and Insomniac were really just like, we do not negotiate with terrorists. They were like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> leak it, I guess. I don't know. They, yeah. They're doing the American way, I guess, but um, most of the time, it, these the hackers will have some sort of proof to show, like, hey, we have something that has definitely not been released externally, and they'll like show Wolverine's it. finger. They put Wolverine on the phone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> give me the money. Uh, well, that was a that was a Batman impression, I think. Uh, but close. Yeah, th they usually show that off, and and I think that you know, in this case, I have to speculate that they decided if we negotiate. If we if we give them the two million dollars or whatever amount of money, whatever thing it is that they want uh, in, a, in a leak case like this, then it's only going to encourage more ransom type things. True. Yeah, true. Um, and at the end of the day, it's not like they, you know, released entire plot points and they didn't spoil the game. And uh, I mean, some people would say just knowing the movement type is spoiling the game. And to some extent, I understand that because I'm very sensitive to spoilers. But realistically, if that's what they knew they had then I can understand. If they knew they had all of their employees' personal data, maybe the decision would have been a little different. I don't know. Maybe that's just a, a hazard of the job, I guess you could say. But yeah, you're right, Brandon. It's kind of like it's kind of like we don't we don't negotiate with terrorists point of view and cuz 2 million dollars for a giant corporation is is nothing. Yeah. Um, but it's more I think it was probably more about the um the stance they were taking 
than anything. Sure. I did want to talk about uh, Sailor in chat says that roadmap is so sad. And then Radix says I'm hyped for Venom, Venom and Ratchet, at least, um, <laughs> which, of course, he's hyped for Venom. I'm also hyped for Ratchet. Um, Venom, I'm sure it'll be fine. It's Insomniac making a making a game with crazy movement, so it'll be great. But I wanted to ask you guys, I don't know if you saw the roadmap or not, but uh, it details it all the way out for a decade-ish and shows a lot of Marvel games in there. And that kind of ties in with number two, which we'll get to uh, a little bit later. But what do you think of that, um, Dave, as far as, you know, what it looks like Insomniac's going to be working on for a while. And you can go in as granular or not as you want. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really, really excited about this. I love the concept of a universe. And um, I don't know if I really kind of grasped it before the MCU. And I don't know if we've ever kind of seen it on a scale. Um, like, or, you know, kind of done that successfully as, as we have in, in film with the MCU. But... I don't know. I just love like kind of watching all the movies. And I think my favorite thing about a universe is seeing uh, either main characters or secondary characters making like cameos in, in other people's films or games in this case. And then, you know, building up to that crescendo that was, again, I'm sorry, I have to make the comparison to the MCU, which was um, the Avengers. So uh, I really, really like this idea of a bunch of like interconnected video games that, will ultimately lead into some bigger sort of all-encompassing video game. I think that would be really cool. Um, and I like that they're doing it with Marvel in this in this sort of more focused version of Marvel where, you know, it seems like we're kind of honing in on Spider-Man, Wolverine, X-Men, and maybe some of the villains in, in the Spider-Man universe. Um, in the roadmap, there was two or three... Uh, that were just identified as like new IP mm -hmm. and it, it didn't really have any name attached to it. So I, I'm curious what that is. Uh, you guys kind of mentioned the, the Venom game a little bit. I, has that, that hasn't been confirmed. It's still rumored. So maybe that's one of them. I'm wondering if we're going to get like well, a Sinister Six game. Just to clarify, Sorry, Venom was uh, on there separate from the new IP. It was and separate. I think that okay. anything from Marvel would be considered an existing IP. It wouldn't okay. be like making Ben and Dave's fabulous game number four, you know? Right. Like, so then maybe these new IP aren't actually part of this, uh, part of this universe right. or maybe they are. Yeah. I yeah, mean, they could be. Um, it's exciting to see what they would come up with. The, the piece that I was less kind of excited about was the multiplayer stuff. Mm -hmm. I think um, Insomniac does such a great and charming job with focused single player narrative experiences and I trust that they could make a, a very high quality multiplayer game, but just me as a gamer, I really, I really appreciate what they do with single player stuff. So um, that, you know, I'd be curious to see what it actually um, kind of develops into, but I think on the service, I'm, I'm less excited about that, but more, you know, really anticipating what this, this whole insomniac Marvel game universe actually kind of turns into. So Again, it's it's shitty that the leak came out this way, but uh, it is kind of cool to see this stuff. And a benefit for Insomniac and Sony is like, you know, we're there's a lot of people who are really excited about what they learned yeah, earlier yeah. this week. Uh, you know, on the negative side though, that Microsoft knows their plans a lot earlier than they had uh, planned on kind of rolling that out there. So, uh, but in any case, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see where Sony and Insomniac goes with this. Yeah, Brandon, I know you're not a big superhero guy, but you have been an enjoyer of. The Spider-Man games 
and uh, yeah. Spider-Man and Miles Morales and all, all the like. Uh, do you do you have any affinity for the X-Men? Is that something that excites you? Yeah, I mean, I could totally be interested in it. I think the great part about Insomniac's games is that I really enjoy them. And if the game plays well enough um, and it's made well enough and, you know, the ideas and the concepts are put together well enough that it doesn't really matter what the IP is to me. It could be anything. So that's kind of where I've stood on it and where I'm going to continue to stand as far as I'm concerned. Insomniac makes great games. And on the inverse of what Dave was saying, I actually am pretty excited for the multiplayer because I... Multiplayer is like my thing, you yeah. know, single player experiences. I enjoy them a lot, but they pale in comparison to the amount of hours that I put into multiplayer games. So the thought of Insomniac breaking into that stratosphere is exciting for me. Um, and I think something that we often associate multiplayer with is, you know, free to play uh, microtransactions, but games don't have to come out that way necessarily i feel like there can be multiplayer components without that so um i would hope that that sort of thing wouldn't be added um because i don't think it would be a great fit and we've seen good companies try to implement things like that so i hope they would think twice about it but um yeah i don't know i'm pretty excited about the multiplayer stuff and the roadmap looks cool i mean i only watched a little bit of the wolverine stuff and it looks cool as well so yeah yeah it's um I think it's encouraging to see that Marvel, who is Disney, uh, would give them... They, they trust Insomniac enough to give them such a big chunk of everything. And I mean, honestly, who else is doing as good of a job with their properties as, as Insomniac no is? No right. One. But it, it lends... There, there was something in there about how games have to... The, the games within this contract have to sell a certain amount of copies, and I forget the exact number... Uh, or the IP reverts back to to Disney and they can, you know, sell it to somebody else to use. And it makes me wonder or, or renegotiate the terms. I don't know however it works, but it makes me wonder, uh, one, about Xbox's place in uh, with Blade. You know, they're making Xbox is making Blade. Uh, that's within the Marvel Universe. Not we didn't see it in the MCU, of course, but it is part of the Marvel Universe. And it makes me wonder, one, um, will they reach those thresholds? Because do, do subscription sales count the same as, um, as uh, subscription purchases count the same as actual sales? And then the other thing is, Dave, you kind of alluded to, you know, Xbox gets to see what they're working on. Do they, if they're both making Marvel games, and you would assume Marvel has stated that they want all of their properties to work together from here on out now that they have enough money to actually do them themselves and not have to farm them out to Fox or whoever. Do they already know what's going on? Are they working on something? Like, will there be some cross-pollination to be like, hey, in this universe, this is what's happening. The Blade game needs to fit in there too. It makes me kind of wonder, like, are we seeing some sort of, you know, Marvel, Sony... Uh, Fox crossover like we did with Spider-Man and the Avengers with video game production companies as well. Um, that was kind of just a mouthful of wonder, but I don't know if you guys have anything to... It's kind of just dreaming and speculation, I think, at this point. But Yeah, I mean, um, I just want to kind of note something that Radix said in the chat where, you know, the budgets are so big and, and Marvel's going to get a huge cut from these games, but $10 million in sales I think is perfectly reasonable for games from insomniac and we've already kind of seen how successful these titles are 
the Spider-Man titles, um, whereas we've got three of them now and they've all been incredibly successful. We've already got a really, really good install base of, of PlayStation 5s. And I assume all these games are probably going to be on PlayStation 5, if not most of them. So I think 10 million at a minimum is reasonable. So if that's kind of the bet, is that, if that's the gamble that Sony and Insomniac are making with these games, and I'm talking about each one individually, um, I think it's reasonable. And uh, again, as I said before, like if they're all intertwined in, in part of a universe, then people are going to feel that much more of a connection and need to play them. Uh, one after the other, just like, you know, we did with the first few phases of the MCU in theaters. So, yeah. Yeah. It's ambitious, but I think it's worth it. Yeah, I don't know that there will be any sort of crossover. I feel like these companies like to keep their things separately, purposefully. Um, But that certainly would be nice where these big companies could play nicer together. If we could get something that was more complex and uh, wide-stretching over multiple uh, kind of companies, that would be something, but... Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It does make you think about the blade and the just the Marvel in general kind of double dip in here. So yeah, I want to see Clank fight Blade. Wow. Okay. Yeah. We did see um, Clank, discussion of a new Ratchet and Clank game, and uh, it's really interesting because you know it shows that they they showed that they lost money on the last Ratchet and Clank, but is that because it wasn't a great game? Or is it because there was such a low install base? Or was it the common... I mean, I think it was a good game. I platinumed it. I played a lot of it. Um, it was shorter, but it was it was still fun. But I think it coming out so early in the life cycle both helped and hurt it. Yeah. Uh, it's really interesting to me to see how, how poorly it did commercially. Yeah, honestly, I thought that game was amazing. I was surprised to see that. Um, yeah. And I would imagine... I don't know. It kind of was like especially at the beginning when the titles were so low for PS5, it kind of was a, a console seller. As far as I'm concerned, you know, they were flexing the SSD. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It is a little strange to me that it didn't do better. But, I mean, they obviously see something in the IP or they wouldn't be continuing to pursue it. So, Yeah, launch titles are always a gamble, I think. Yeah. And that's why I think especially with this generation, we saw so many cross-generational titles. Yeah. But absolutely i bet sony kind of ate the loss a little bit on this one yeah i think that's definitely a reasonable thing to assume now radic and i and i don't know if this has been confirmed but in the chat radic is saying updated information has it that ratchet was profitable there's a slide from insomniac that states this i don't have any reason to doubt radic on that um so good if it was um still i had a great time with it if it wasn't um and and Hriz, uh says I think Sony and Insomniac knew it was a launch game and needed it, so I bet they weren't worried if it was a loss leader. I mean, it was definitely one of the only things to play at the beginning. One of the one of the main reasons, the only new games to have a PS5 for at the time. So definitely you could consider it a loss leader in that way. When I owned the, the restaurant, the brewery, um, we used to have a thing called a pint of bacon, which was literally just... So many people would come in and be like, what is this? And I'm like, it's a pint glass full of bacon. And they're like, what? I want that. And I'm like, right. But it cost us like almost exactly what we sold it for. But we felt like we could, because bacon was always fluctuating so crazily. It was like, well, we can't really justify selling it for, um, we can't justify for selling it more than we are, but we can't make any money on it, selling it for what we are. But what we found was that people would get that. And a hundred percent of the time, every time somebody ordered it, it was just an appetizer. And they would also 
by multiple drinks. Like I think it was like an average of two point one drinks or something like that. The people Jeez, who ordered here, that here's a pint of salt. Here's a you pint of salt. A you, need a, you need a couple <laughs> beers and probably something else to eat to wash it down with. So, loss leaders are certainly a business strategy, and maybe it was that, maybe it wasn't. Um, but Insomniac, regardless, it definitely sucks they got hacked. They've been definitely the forefront of Sony production uh, when it comes to this generation. So it's been a good time. Um, a good time for them, a good time for consumers, a good time for video games and stop hacking people. But also if you're going to don't just don't get their personal information, right? Like that's the part that sucks. I mean, I'm sure they just went in and grabbed as much as they could. The hackers did, but it sucks that it's, it's honked. The the train has honked seven times. It's supposed to be three. (laughs) Legally, they're only required to do it three. It's honked seven times. Dude, if I was behind that horn, I would be laying on that shit. Just pray that I never start driving trains near your house, Ben. I'll because pray for that I for more than one reason. I, I more be, than one reason, buddy. I would be toot tooting all the way down the road. It's funny. Th- there is a guy. I assume it's a guy. That's a person who works there, and um, he, he's the one who drives like overnight. And you can tell like when he's working because it's clear he's just bored. And I can like faintly hear them like down near Dustin's house. There's a crossing down there too, and so they have to they have to beep up there and then beep down here. And when that guy's coming, I know it because I hear from far away, like he's just so bored trying to keep himself awake driving the train at 3 a.m. He's just gotta. It doesn't bother me anytime except for when I'm on the mic. Then of course it's annoying. But Hariz also says would be interested to see how profitable Sackboy was. Sackboy was only partially funded by Sony, I think, but I would have to imagine. It didn't do amazing, but I bet it was profitable still. I bet it was profitable. Yeah, I don't think it did nearly as well as they thought it was going to. No, no. The, it, it had been too long for the love to still be there. Speaking of profitable, let's move into number two. Insomniac Games' recent ransomware leak exposed a comprehensive financial document detailing the development cost, sales, and profits of every game the studio worked on. Notably, Sunset Overdrive, a 2014 Xbox and PC exclusive, generated a mere $567 in profit despite selling 1. approximately 9 million units for approximately $50 million. The leak sheds light on the challenging economics of game development, emphasizing the financial struggles even a well-received title might face. This revelation contrasts with Insomniac's pivot to Marvel projects suggesting a strategic move towards more lucrative ventures now sunset overdrive is um i'm a fan of that game i was a fan of that game back in the day i have uh, gone back to it for a couple hours here and there over the years and i'm always continuing to be a fan of it uh and it, it's such a it's such a widely talked about and beloved game by people who played it that uh you i have a you know it's hard to imagine the game made literally $567 in profit. And I don't know, dev math is a little bit different sometimes. Maybe marketing's wrapped up in that too, which it always is. But either way, as far as the, the tax man is concerned, it made $567 in profit. Um, and I, and I kind of want to talk about specifically that game, but also just about the state of game development when a game that has such a huge cultural impact can be, by all other terms considered a flop marginally a flop like it, it it basically was a flop right it basically broke even so um i don't know dave what do you think the state of the industry is like when a game that's so beloved does so poorly and and basically costs them money yeah i i i seem to recall i played sunset overdrive um and i loved it just like you ben 
but I, I feel like it was one of those games that a lot of people talked about and it got a lot of coverage, but I don't think that many people actually bought it and played it. Remember, this was an Xbox One game and not that many people actually had Xbox Ones. Uh, so I'm not that surprised to hear that it was overall a flop. Um, but in terms of the state of the industry, like even going back to 2014, so nine years ago, almost 10 years now, I feel like if if Sunset Overdrive couldn't succeed then, then it's got to be even worse now when you look at just how dominated this industry is by free-to-play and known quantities and existing IPs where, you know, we talk a lot about how we get really excited about new IP, but, you know, when you look at it from a business perspective, it's almost always a bet that does not pay off. Mm-hmm. And that's really unfortunate because, um, you know, we're going to talk a little bit later on the show about a, a game called Sea of Stars, and that's that's a gamble. That's a gamble that ultimately paid off, but 90% of gambles just don't. So, you know, the, the more we see games like this not sell and not make a profit or just make such a, a, a razor sharp profit means that, you know, we're just not going to see new IP like we want to. So it's kind of sad and it, it, it really, really sucks. Cause again, I'm with you, Ben, like sunset overdrive was so fun and it was so different, but it wasn't a third person shooter and it wasn't call of duty and it wasn't, um, it wasn't Madden. It wasn't the stuff that sells millions of copies every single year. So people don't want to spend their money on it. So it's just, it's, it's a little bit sad. And again, just to reiterate, I think it's gotten worse because a lot's changed since 2014. So yeah, but yeah, $576 or whatever the number yeah. was. That's, it's like, that's insane. I do agree. I think that's probably been stated in a certain way for, as you said, Ben tax purposes. Well, sure. Yeah. <laughs> but, and again, that's after everybody gets paid right. and all your expenses are paid off. So it's not like people, you know, walked out the door and got fired over that, but it's still like that game should have made a lot more money than it did. And I, I always wonder what that game would have, how it would have been remembered if it were multi-platform or a PlayStation exclusive. Cause I feel like it would have done well anywhere. It was so much fun, but yeah. It's, it's too bad. And that game now, let me let me just double check my my facts here. Um, did you play Sunset Overdrive, Brandon? I played a little bit of it, not much. Okay, so that I, I was right. That game was published by Xbox Studios. It is now on Game Pass. Uh, it's still on Game Pass, and I would imagine since Xbox owns the game, um, that's the way everybody used to work back in the day. That. You know, Insomniac's not seeing any future dollars or current dollars from that. But I do wonder, now that it's on Game Pass, what's the what's it like? How many hours have people spent playing that game, spending their subscription money on or whatever, that maybe years later now, is it a success? And, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about subscriptions, um, which I'm a fan of, just for the record. But subscription services later in the show when we talk about Sea of Stars. But I just wonder, you know long term has that game actually made more money than it made initially is that even i mean that's that's possible certainly so it all depends on how you do the math of course but interesting stuff regardless it definitely brandon um makes a lot of sense like dave was saying that you know insomniac an amazing studio who's made awesome games and continues to make awesome games makes a lot of sense why they're dipping into the well again with marvel and continuing that licensing i mean 
Look at something like the Fast and the Furious game that came out a couple years ago. It was utter garbage. It was like a, it was, you know, like a generation behind. The game sold a bunch. The Fast and the Furious movies, there's a reason there's like 24 of them, because people keep lining up to go see them. And we see continually that sequels of big established IP are doing just as well or better than than their um, uh, origin story stuff. So the whole, you know, we make fun a lot of the licensed movie tie-ins and everything that happened a lot during the PS2 and PS3 era, a lot during the PS2 era. Um, but those games were what made money and made it so that people could keep their jobs and keep making games. And it's, you know, I don't know. It kind of sucks, but yeah. Yeah, no, it, it definitely does suck. I feel like, Dave kind of said it, and we've said it before on the show, how much of a gamble making games is, period. I mean, clearly when you have a game like Sunset Overdrive that is unanimously praised um, and you see stuff like this, it kind of puts things into perspective. And I wish we lived in a world where new IP could blossom, and that certainly does happen. I mean, look at Gorilla, look at Sucker Punch. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, new IP can blossom, but for every one or two new IPs that blossom, there's about two or 300 that fucking just are dead on arrival. So yeah, it's, I wish that we didn't have to tie into IP to ensure success, but that's just the way the world works. It's like when people know about things, they're more keen to engage with that thing. Um, Especially something like Marvel. I mean, one of the biggest intellectual property holders in existence um, at this point. Um, Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, kind of some interesting news. I honestly would never have guessed that yeah. um, before reading it here. So, And, I mean, I, I know I'm part of the problem because I'll see, I'll see a new IP and I'm like, ah, that looks just like this game. Right. And it's like, well, there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, I mean, yeah, occasionally you get something that totally transforms the way that gaming works, but very rarely. Yeah, very rarely. 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 Uh, so it's... An interesting um, story. Radix says Sunset Overdrive was profitable enough for a Little Caesars pizza party. Dude, um, how, how many Little Caesars pizzas are you? How many people are you having at this party? Because five hundred and sixty-seven dollars at Little Caesars would be like enough to feed this side of the state where I live. <laughs> Little Caesars is like six seventy-five for a pizza now. Ben, when I was it's a kid, five hundred dollars. I That's know. 100 pizzas, 8 slices a piece, bro. Come on, do the math here. That's a lot of pizza. Brandon, I've seen you eat. That's not enough to feed you for two days. You ain't wrong. Uh, yeah. Um, also, Why You Should Play says, seeing all these financials that have come out across the larger PlayStation ecosystem reinforces why niche studios like Arcane are doing big licensed IP. And yeah, that's, that's the sad reality for sure. Uh, let's move on. To the next thing, this is uh, about a patent. Number three, Sony's new patent. Sony aims to revolutionize gaming difficulty with a recently issued patent. Now, of course, I'll preface this with saying we know that tons of patents get filed just so they can protect them and maybe never even intended on being used, used but they're, they're working on something, so they got to patent it. Uh, introducing real-time skill-based adaptive difficulty calibration. The patent, typed, titled Adaptive Difficulty Calibration for Skills-Based Activities in Virtual Environments, That's a mouthful. Proposes a system that dynamically adjusts the game's difficulty based on a user's skill level. As players navigate challenges, the difficulty evolves organically, increasing gradually without compromising specific challenges perceived as weaker areas for the player. 
Sony envisions utilizing collected data to assess a user's performance level against expected benchmarks, automatically adjusting game difficulty parameters when deviations occur. The patent introduces an innovative approach to enhance player engagement by tailoring difficulty to individual skills during gameplay. Dave, uh, I don't really like this idea. I mean, I think it could be cool for a game, maybe like that's the whole catch of the game. But I don't I don't want a lot of games like this. What about you? It's it's definitely an interesting um, concept. Uh, I am having a hard time trying to imagine how it would actually translate into a gameplay experience. The one uh, kind of game where I think it would be excellent is um, Sim Racers. So mm. like Gran Turismo 7, this would be awesome because uh, I find the AI really sucks. And if I turn it up a little bit, then suddenly it's not fun anymore. So if you know the game was actually able to learn and kind of adjust, um, then I think that'd be cool. But I also was trying to think of it from the lens of just like a single player narrative game and i i I just again had a really hard time imagining how it would work but i also understand why it makes sense um i always play on normal difficulty but what's normal to me may be normal not normal to everybody else but we as gamers adapt to that um so i think this is sony's attempt potentially to try and make it so the game adapts to the player um, so maybe there's, there's a future where there are games where you don't have to pick a difficulty, you know, not like a from software game where there is no difficulty. It just, it's what it is, mm-hmm. but you know, it, it, there is no difficulty selection because the game just kind of adapts to you. And I think that's an interesting concept. And, um, again, it's just tough to picture because I feel like most well-designed games kind of scale difficulty appropriately so you know normal difficulty starts off fairly easy and by the time you get to the end of the game it's more challenging than when it started but you've learned a lot about how the game mechanics work so it it i don't know it it is more difficult on you know objectively but because you've you've learned how to play the game it it isn't that that much more difficult so i don't know whether this is a good thing or a bad thing i have to see it in practice again in a sim racer like gran turismo i think it would be amazing um and we've seen sophie in gran turismo so i wonder if this patent is somehow connected to that or you know it was born out of that um the one glaringly positive i can pull from this is that i think it is it is a great way for developers to learn how people are playing their games um, not by, you know, understanding the number of times they clicked on a prompt or, you know, went into a certain hub area or something like that, but more understanding and seeing how the game reacted to the way they were playing. Right. And I think that's that's a really cool thing. So, um, yeah, I'm interested to see where Sony kind of takes this and, and what kind of games it actually um, it, it, it pops up in. But, um, yeah, interesting patent. Uh, news for sure. Brandon, you know what this sounds like to me? I know exactly. This sounds a little bit like skill-based matchmaking, but in a single-player game. SBMM ruins everything. <laughs> um, now, this is interesting. I just get shit-faced one night playing Elden Ring 2, and then it just doesn't <laughs> let me boot the game. It's like, sorry, you did poorly enough that you, you should probably just play something else. Um, yeah, it's certainly an interesting idea. I don't know. I feel like the magic of 
deciding your own difficulty is that you could be playing, and I've done this many times, where I'm playing a game that's maybe it's older, maybe I'm just coming back to it from, you know, a long break, and I'm playing on normal originally, right? And then I'm like, man, I don't know. This is kind of pissing me off a little bit. I just want to have fun because that's what video games are about. Even though the internet sometimes doesn't think it, it, video games are about having fun and being entertained. So I would just be worried that that would kind of... We joke about SVMM, but I feel like some of the aggravation around it is warranted because people just want to have fun. And when you're not doing well, you're not having fun. Um, so what are you just going to do really shitty in the game until your, until your difficulty drops? I don't know. It's weird. Um, and somebody said something in chat that I actually find pretty interesting. Um, Gaston said, I think uh, patenting game mechanics is a hard line that shouldn't be crossed. And yeah. honestly, he's kind of right. Um, I think that that kind of leads way to other things that could be more nefarious um, for consumers than even this. So, Is difficulty a game mechanic, though? I think the adjustment of difficulty on the fly is... It would change the game. I mean, it could yeah. change health. It could change bullet yeah. damage, you know, or pacing. It's interesting that the only other time we've really seen an instance of this was with um, the Nemesis system uh, that, that WB did with... Um, was it WB? Before yep. the Rings. Yeah. And we saw that. It was a cool idea. Absolutely. And then they patented it, and so therefore no one else could do it. And also no one else, they haven't done it either. We've never yeah. seen it again in any of right. their other games. And that really sucks because, you know, for a game to have such a cool mechanic introduced and then barred from everyone else using it and then never used again, it's like, come on, man. Like, just let them, everybody borrows from somebody else. There's nothing yeah. new under the sun, like we said earlier. So I, I definitely think, like I said earlier, that I could imagine this being really cool for a game. Like the whole, you know, the, the whole catch of this game is that the better you are, the harder it is. That's that's a cool idea. But I don't think I would want it just to be in any game I'm playing. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, if if it were just a game mechanic, I feel like it might not be worthy of a patent if it's just a game. Right. Yeah, um, that's yeah, that's fair. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And like you said earlier, I mean this this could literally be nothing sandwich, but it is a very interesting idea yeah. um that I hadn't even previously thought was something that was even um that thing. But yeah. apparently Sony Sony's at it again. Yeah. Uh Sailor jumped in to say Namco got the patent for interactable loading screens. So that's a correction there. I did not know that. That's interesting. Huh. I never thought about that. I've never seen an interactable loading screen outside of like some older games. Yeah, this might have some bad implications, but we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's about the implication. Right. Number four. Sabotage Studios celebrates Sea of Stars, its turn-based RPG, surpassing 4 million players since its August 28th debut. Available on PC, Nintendo Switch, PlayStation, and Xbox platforms, the game received... Acclaim winning Best Indie Game at the Game Awards and the Golden Joysticks and BAFTA recognition. The RPG garnered over 25 perfect review scores, becoming a top pick in the Critics Best of 2023 list. Uh, the Sabotage Studios co-founder expressed gratitude. I write these, I write their names sometimes, not remembering that I'm going to have to pronounce them later. <laughs> the 
Sabotage Studios co-founder expressed gratitude and excitement for fan support, hinting at the upcoming DLC, Throws of the Watchmaker. Sea Stars unfolds in the Messengers universe. Dave, you reviewed the Messenger, and you've also played Sea of Stars. How do you feel about uh, 4 million players for the game? It's great. Um, again, we talked about so many uh, new IPs not succeeding, so it's great to see one like this succeeding, uh, especially considering it's it's coming from sort of an indie studio. Uh, so yeah, if you haven't played Sea of Stars, I strongly recommend you go check it out. Either buy it or um, it's on PS Plus Extra and it's on Game Pass. So lots of different ways for you to take advantage of it. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's I, I did not like The Messenger and I, I do like this game. Um, so I'm very excited to see. This is only their second game. So let's, let's see where they go from here. But uh, Sabotage, I think, is actually giving us... They've already announced DLC for Sea of Stars, yeah. so that's really cool. Um, but yeah, 4 million players. So again, this is the game that launched day one on subscription services. Uh, 4 million players is good for any game. Yeah. So I mean, that that's that's good, let alone it being a, an indie retro title. But um, I did a little bit of digging and found that this game actually sold a quarter of a million copies in its first week. Right. So... Um, you know, still moved quite a few copies for a studio that um, predictably has pretty low kind of operating costs compared to some of the bigger studios. So it's nice to see a new IP come out as a, a success story, especially when, um, you know, Sea of Stars came out very close to Starfield. Yeah. And I don't know that they really had the luxury of, picking and choosing where they came out. Not that there was a convenient place for a retro indie game to come out this year, but coming out on game pass that close to Starfield was um, kind of a tall task. So I'm glad to see that this paid off for, for the studio and the game. So yeah, play sea of stars at some time. I got to go finish it. Maybe I'll do that this, uh, this holiday. Brandon, I know you haven't played sea of stars yet. I fell prey to the thing Dave was just talking about where uh, I was playing Baldur's gate and I really wanted to play Sea of Stars, but I knew Starfield was coming out oh, like a literal week later. And so I was like, I'll get this to Sea of Stars later. I still haven't gotten to it. I will. Damn. But I haven't gotten to it yet. But anyway, I wanted to talk more with you and, and we'll go back to Dave too, talking about the the reality of 4 million players is a lot. It's a feat. I'm not going to take that away from them. They've made money because they got two subscription services to pick them up and they sold at minimum a quarter of a million copies, probably by now closer to a half a million or maybe even a little more after the awards bump. You, you do sell most of your games in the first two weeks that's out. Um, that's a that's a pretty well known fact. Um, but what does players mean in the scope of let, let's let's not even get into financial aspects of it. Because I assume they got paid, you know, for being on two, the, the two biggest subscription services in the gaming sphere. But when you talk about potentially three and a half million players playing this on a subscription service, potentially, you know, I'm just mm -hmm. throwing that out there. Right. Uh, that means they could have played anywhere from booting it up and seeing the start screen to they got 300 hours in it somehow. Right. That's such a hard number to quantify and such a I don't know, actually, if I should give it like, does it deserve the accolades? Wow, you did such a great job. Or right. is it like, okay. I think that it does, um, honestly, because you're right. It isn't just straight up 3 million people purchase the game. Um, but what that does do for them is that means 3 million people had eyes on their IP that 
maybe wouldn't have otherwise, even if they did just boot it up, they saw something, you know? Um, and I think that that is a net positive for the studio in the long run. It might not net them right now, but what it does is ensure that the next thing that comes out will have some sort of reception from at least 4 million people because they have some experience with it at all. So even though, you know, at the end of the day, the numbers guys probably aren't really too concerned with 4 million players, it really does mean a lot for the studio um, because I think that just exposure to the uh, to the product at all is sometimes, um, you know, it might be a future play is what I'm trying to say. Dave, what do you think? Um, yeah, uh, Brandon's right. It's it's the second game from the studio. So if you have players that are are you know know that the 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 quality of the product you put out there is good, then you know a, a good chunk of them are going to remember. So I think there's always value in that, and I think it allows the studio to kind of make a slightly bigger game next time. Um, I wonder what it kind of does for that strategy of launching on multiple subscription services day one, because I don't think that's something we've seen a whole lot of, but it's proven successful in this case. But again, it only works if you have a game that predictably didn't cost that much to um, cost that much to actually develop. So it doesn't work for everybody, but um, we don't really know what, each individual studio makes off per like download or per 10,000 downloads or whatever it is. So it's kind of a meaningless number, especially across two separate services. Like we might have an inkling of what Microsoft pays for this sort of thing, but um, we don't, you know, 4 million players. Is that a million on PlayStation and 3 million on game pass? Probably not, but you know, what's the split? It's, it's really kind of a meaningless number to us, but um, it's, it's still a good number to work from and it means probably good things for um for future titles and again i kind of mentioned the dlc there i i assume the dlc would be paid so even if you got the vanilla version of the game um on subscription service maybe if you wanted to play more then you need to purchase the dlc separately so that might be the play there too is you know launch a really good game on subscription services but also have really good follow-up content to add on that people pay for um, just out of pocket. So, yeah. yeah. So I can't go too much into this. So full disclosure, for those who don't know, I do work for an indie game studio. I am the one who deals with the platforms. So I have had some discussions in the past about subscription services. Um, We've had games on, back when Games with Gold was a thing, we had games on there. Um, So I know some of those inner workings, but I don't know all of them. And I'm just curious... We've seen from leaked documents, we've seen from leaks that are out there, and I think people have talked about it before. I know people have talked about it before. Uh, So it is common knowledge that um, most of the time when you're on one of these subscription services, there's some sort of clause built in that you can't appear on another subscription service during a specific time. So you would assume there had to be some sort of concession for Sea of Stars to be able to launch on both, whether that was financial or otherwise. Uh, maybe they saw that it was going to be such a great game that they both decided, who cares, we won it on our subscription service. Um, I'm really curious how that looks as far as, you know, I assume both parties, all three parties, really had to be fully aware of the fact that it was going to be on the other subscription services and had to be able to make good with that. So 
That's a really interesting fact to me, too. We're getting way off the accolade of Sea of Stars selling 4 million copies, I know. But it, I wanted to bring it up just because it opens up a broader conversation that's really interesting about um, not only what those players mean, but also how do you launch on two subscription services that usually don't allow you to do that? That's really fascinating to me. So um, uh, if you guys have anything to add, you're welcome to. But I just I was just stating that for my own sake, I guess. Um. I didn't write this up because, uh, just honestly, I forgot. But I just briefly wanted to mention, in between last week's show and this week's show, it feels like forever ago, uh, but The Last of Us Online was canceled. Uh, straight up, just canceled one night. I think it was on a Thursday night. And um, I just I don't need to go over the whole thing, uh, but I just wanted to get your guys' impressions on that. Uh, Dave, we'll kick it off with you. Did you get a chance to read the release that uh, Naughty Dog put out? And um, what do you think about The Last of Us Online, as they were calling it internally? Uh, getting getting kicked to the curb. Yeah, I I didn't read the whole release, but I I read bits and pieces and and kind of gleaned some of why this may have happened. Um, and it really just sounds like this game grew a little bit too big for its breaches and scared some of the higher ups at uh, at Naughty Dog off. Um, you know, The Last of Us is a great series. It's got a lot of people who love to play it. Um, and we'll continue to buy the single player games for a long time. But I think when this multiplayer game started out in life, it was supposed to be a mode that launched with the last of us part two. And then it started to grow and became its own thing. And, and it just kind of feels like it grew to a point where, um, you know, it needed to reasonably compete on a daily basis with the other multiplayer shooters that are in the industry. So again, last of us is great as a single player game, but I don't know if an online standalone mode could compete day to day with apex and call of duty and Fortnite. Um, and maybe part of it is just like people have seen what Fortnite's grown into and, and naughty dog felt this isn't going to be profitable long-term. So it feels like it just kind of grew to a point where it wasn't sustainable. Um, and, and they, Naughty Dog decided that the, the easiest thing to do was just to walk away from it, which I'm okay with because in the press release, I think they did note that they want to focus on new IP. We've talked a lot about new IP and how we kind of favor it. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that new IP is getting um, sort of preference over um, a, a kind of spinoff multiplayer experience that me personally, I wouldn't really play too much of. So, yeah. Brandon, what do you think about The Last of Us Online being canceled? Yeah, I mean, I've kind of been a supporter of this being canceled um, for a while now. I feel like it was kind of a, a slow death. Um, I'm sad to see it mostly um, because I am a multiplayer fan. I think they could make something cool. Um, I think that I do agree that it probably became something bigger than they had intended um, and that the environment and the ecosystem kind of require that now. But what I would say as someone who plays multiplayer games is it doesn't need to be that way. Kind of what I said earlier, it's like we've been playing Lethal Company. It's like, does it need to be like all encompassing? Does it always need to have updates? Does it and, you know, obviously updates in general, but like content updates. So I don't know. I'm not super sad to see this go. Um, but I'm noticing a trend in gaming. I guess they just don't want to risk it. And I guess that's completely fair. And they're going to stick to what they're good at. And that's completely fair. Um, but, you know, it it might have been interesting to see what they got. Um, and we didn't really see almost anything. So 
Um, RIP The Last of Us Online. Uh, probably won't be missed that much, but um, yeah. yeah. They'll make something cooler, and it'll be completely fine, so I'm not that yeah. worried about it. I'm sure there were a lot of circumstances um, leading to this, of course, but one of the main things they, they marked in the release that they put out when they canceled it was that I forget the exact wording, but something along the lines of we had to make a decision of whether we wanted to be uh, a live service, essentially, uh, company or continue to make our single player games that everybody loves. And that's really telling to me that one, it's like, why did it take them so long to realize this was going to be that was going to be the case that they were going to have to always be an online company then? Or why did they think that? You know, why why can't this just be a game that you put out and it's an online mode like the days of old where, you know, the old Assassin's Creed games, even though they weren't very good, the online, it came out and it was out. I mean, I love the games, but the online modes themselves. Sorry, Dave, I didn't mean to scare you. Um, <laughs> I, I love the old Assassin's Creed games, but the, the online, the multiplayer components, they came out and that was it. You bought the game and you played the, the multiplayer and then 10 or 15 years later, they shut it down. Um, you know, why don't we have that anymore? Why is this, the whole studio is going to be 24-7 on the multiplayer? That kind of sucks. But I do think it's good for a studio as talented, especially at single-player games as Naughty Dog is, that through whatever means they came to realize it, that they decided that they didn't want to divert more resources into it. It just sucks because the opportunity cost alone. I mean, we talk about the opportunity cost on something like Sunset Overdrive, they could have made something else that made more money, but they made $567. This is never going to make any money. And it probably cost them $100 million or more um, for the time it's been in development. So that opportunity cost definitely sucks. But I'm glad they figured it out now than having it flop or, you know, peter out later on. So, excuse me. You got a little tickle going on there. Boys, it's time to talk about what we have been playing, what we have been playing. Dave, yours is the most fascinating and will probably take the most time by far. Uh, so let's go to you first. Uh, yeah, so I have been playing nothing new this this week. Um, I played a little bit of uh, Luigi's Mansion and um, Mario Wonder <laughs> earlier this week, but that's nothing new. Uh, I got the dreaded gamer injury. Um, I was attacked by a mandolin um, earlier this week while I was slicing some tomatoes. Okay, I needed to ask, was it a mandolin that you play music with or that you slice things with? <laughs> no, yeah, okay. I slice. And I, I don't know if you guys have ever used a yeah. mandolin before, but if you get cut by them, it's fucking bad. Yeah. And this was like, I think like a bee's dick away from being stitches. So I'm kind of lucky. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was right on my thumb and you can't really see it there, but I just stopped wearing a bandage full time today. Um, so yeah, I really, for, for it, I couldn't really, I, I suppose I could have done mouse and keyboard, but I, I looked through my steam library and there was nothing I really felt like playing. So Thanks. I, <laughs> I had to, I, I spent the, the week on the gaming, uh, IR as it were. So yeah, nothing new for me this week. Unfortunately. All right. Oh, by the way, before we go any further, there was a correction to the correction earlier. Uh, we were corrected saying that Namco got a patent for interactable loading screens. Then a correction followed up that said it was many games in loading screens. Um, so I guess that's kind of a you know, similar thing, but anyway, I still don't know if that correction is correct, but I'm reading it because it was given Brandon, you're up and you've been playing one game all week. And I have noted this on several occasions that you've been playing just an insane amount of this game. <laughs> yeah. Talk about yeah, it. I've been, I've been only playing lethal company. Um, happily, honestly, uh, it, it's been a lot of fun and I've been queuing a lot with random people, which has been very interesting socially. Um, but 
Uh, yeah, th- this game is amazing. I've talked at length about it. There's nothing new to add there, but I do want to give a little story time to to one of the lobbies I had joined. Um, well, I had hosted it, actually, so I was the leader. Um, the matchmaking is kind of weird in this game. I feel like they didn't expect as many people to be playing it, so it's kind of unstable at points. There's difficulties joining people. Um, you don't always get people to join. Sometimes you wait like 15, 20 minutes and nobody joins. So, um, But th- that was me. I was sitting in a lobby waiting for people to join. And uh, somebody joined and uh, I waited a little bit. was just saying, hey, what's up? You got a mic. Um, and the voice that came out shortly after, he, I'm telling you guys, he had to be eight years old. It oh, was wow. probably just the most meek little voice that I've ever heard. And I was sticking around, you know, I was having an okay time. Many people joined and instantly heard this little kid's voice and then just left. And he was like, oh man, like, I don't know what, you know, every time I get into a lobby, it says I disconnect, which means that they kicked you. Um, And he, and he's like, I've been trying to play this game and you know, yada, yada. And so I played a couple rounds with him and I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Okay. And so I just crouched in place and didn't talk for a while and then disconnected because I felt bad. I felt really bad. I felt really bad because, because he was a nice little kid, whatever. And so I host a new lobby. Like, are you you sure you left because of he was a little kid or was it because of the court order? (laughs) We're not going to talk about that. Uh, (laughs) Legally, I can't. Uh, But so me like an idiot instantly starts up a new lobby with the same name. And guess what? He rejoins the same lobby. Hey, what happened, man? And I was like, I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I disconnected. Oh, that's my fault. You know, and so now I'm feeling bad. Right. I just feel bad. And then he starts sob storying me. And I actually did feel a little bit bad. He was like, yeah, every time I joined people people are very nice and this is the only lobby that I can join. I've been trying to play this game, but I can never join any lobbies and I just want to play so bad. I've watched all these YouTube videos, but I haven't really played because I know nobody, nobody stays. And so lo and behold, I felt bad then. And so I hung out with him until his bedtime and then, and then, and then he left. Did I you actually so, play though? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't any good, but yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was kind of endearing. I'm not like a huge fan of kids. Ben's yeah. kids are probably some of the only kids I actually like. Uh, this kid was all right, and I will note something else. He he friend requested me on on uh, Steam, and then he kept asking. He's like, "All right, you know, before I get off for bed, can you accept my thing?" And I'm like. I only have one screen. I'm not going to switch between screens right now. And then he asked me again. He just kept doubling down. And I was like, he's going to sit in friend purgatory. I don't know if you guys know what this is, but on <laughs> yeah. on all of my social media apps, all of them, I like to collect as many people in purgatory as I possibly can. I, n- I, I don't deny your friend request or accept it. I leave you there so that way you can never send me another one again. And that way you're like, maybe he just didn't see it. <laughs> Maybe he just didn't see it. You leave them in purgatory. And I swear to God, I have to have like 50 or 60 on Facebook. I have dozens on Instagram. And now this kid's staying in purgatory. I'm sorry, kid. You're a nice kid. I was I was incredibly nice to him. Incredibly <laughs> nice. And I think I was the only person that had, had ever been nice to him on this game. I think he actually said that. Um, but yeah, he's going to stay there because what he got off to he's like all right yeah i'll be on tomorrow night and i'm like i see where this is going Uh uh-huh we're we're not doing this you're really nice 
you're a really nice dude, and I'm sure you're going to be awesome one day. But Brandon's got a stand now. Like he's just at home scribbling <laughs> letters to you. Like, it's, Have you accepted my friend request? Play Lethal Company yeah, with me. It's not <laughs> happening. So, um, but yeah, that was my interesting story. For you man, I, I've also had some other just kind of interesting things happen. I uh, hosted a different lobby and there were people that joined me with that, that all lived within an hour of me, which is really strange. So I guess that's probably the way the servers work, but it was just kind of funny how it worked. So it's really weird. You told me about that. You said it was three women that you asked them all where they live. That's kind of creepy. Hey, yo, (laughs) Hey, yo, why you, where did the little kid live? You weren't incriminate. I'm not asking the little kid where he lives. Okay. You didn't ask him, but you asked the women. Okay. Dude. Why you guys going to flame me on the podcast? I've asked many people where they live. I'm like, Hey, do you live on the East coast? You know, I don't start with like, hey, where are you from? You know, right. I'm like, are you on this side of the country? What's your address? Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm not like that. But yeah, yeah it, it was really funny. You sound tasty. What's your postal code? Right. <laughs> Do you have a P.O. box? Um, <laughs> I want yeah, to try to meet you at the, at the USPS office. Yeah. yeah. Brandon, I, I wanted to ask you. I've also been playing a good bit of Lethal Company. Played a lot with you. But I wanted to ask you. I see you get in... Not, I don't want to say ruts because that has a negative connotation, but you know what I mean. Ruts, where you, you get on one game and you stick on it for a while. Sure. But most of the time, those are games that you're consistently all the time playing with friends. Right. I feel like. Yeah. There's some exceptions, of course. Sure. But Lethal Company is a game that you are very much okay. If none of your friends can play, nobody's playing, whatever, you'll gladly hop on with just a bunch of randoms. And... I feel like Gladly. Lethal Company. Well, okay, okay, that's, that's, that's where we're going here. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Lethal Company is an amazing game, but I really like it with people I know because I love the reactions, and I love the interactions, and I love the social uh, aspect of the game. But for you jumping on with a bunch of randoms all the time, you know, what is it that drives you to do that other than just wanting to play the game? And do you think that's I don't know what's your experience like with mostly not mostly, but a lot of times playing with people you don't know. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I probably have 20 some hours with randoms at this point, um, but it's interesting. I think that mostly the reason I am sticking around, like I obviously love the game, but I feel like it does provide interesting social interactions and not like I'm deprived of that. I mean, I talk for nine hours a day at work if, at to people, but um, it, yeah, it's something about this game. And I think Among Us has like a similar quality to it. I don't know if it's just the type of social game it is, where it is it a lot of the fun is the social yeah. aspect. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of clicking with me so far. And it's been kind of interesting. Um, n- not all interesting. I will say that I, I've had some not so good experiences, but <laughs> mostly they've been really good. And I think that's kind of helped to kind of harbor my interest in continuing to be social on this game is that a lot of the people that I have played with have been super cool. And yeah. that's probably something that's unique to the game because I could equally, um, you know, do this sort of thing on a game like Call of Duty and it would be a vastly, vastly different experience. So I think that that's one part just being interested in socializing in this way. And a second part in the community has been pretty good. So, yeah, nice. Uh, so for me, I've been playing uh, Lethal Company as well. I don't really have anything new to report. No cool stories like Brandon has. Um, I've been playing some more Fortnite, both Battle Royale, although less Battle Royale lately, um, more Lego and more racing. I'm happy to report last week. I think I was like just barely in the bronze or silver category. I'm now in the, in like the top platinum category 
in uh, rocket racing, which I don't really love. I just feel compelled to do this for some reason. I need to at least one time get to the top level of whatever it's called, Epic, or I think it's Epic. Uh, I need to get there and then I'll never play it again. Uh, But I just I feel compelled that I need to do it. Uh, for some reason. And then the Fortnite Lego is obviously fantastic. Um, we haven't been playing that as much, but I did jump in a few times this week. But the big thing I've been spending my time on when I've been when I've been gaming this week is Valheim. Valheim, I checked it out a couple times for like an hour apiece uh, back a couple years ago. And every time I had checked it out, it was right after uh, we had just played something else that was a survival crafting game. If you know me, survival crafting games are my crack. Like I, I absolutely love the building. I love the, the crafting. I love the, the finding of resources. I love gathering, chopping down trees for no reason. Like that's me. That's what I would like to do for some reason. It's a very particular type of OCD, I suppose. And, um, of course, you know, the, the, the whole story and exploration, that's fun, too. But my real focus is on is on building with Valheim. It's, it's cool because the part of the game like you need to upgrade everything before you can progress and before you can really explore, which is exactly my jam. I, I love that. I hate games that you could go in like Elden Ring. You could go in with like the base weapon and kill the final boss if you're good enough. That's cool, but it's cool. That's a big feat. But that I like games where you have to build to that point. So anyway, I've been playing a lot of Valheim um, and really enjoying it. It's it, it's it hit at the right time for me this time. I've checked it out repeatedly because I can see what's good there, but I never really it never stuck. But this time it's sticking a little bit. And um, it's such a big game. There's so much to explore, so much to do, so much to build, so much to craft. I've probably discovered like less than half of the recipe, way less than half the recipes in the game totally at this point. And I've probably got... 20 hours in it this week, uh, 15 to 20 hours in it this week. Um, so it's definitely been a good time uh, for me. And I'm planning on playing a lot more. Brandon and Dave, you're welcome to join, of course. Um, it is on Game Pass. Uh, Lock, Lockmort, my friend Lockmort, bought it for me on Steam because I think it was on sale for like 10 bucks or something. Uh, and then rented us a private server. So you guys are, you too. This is not, a, not an invitation to our audience. Sorry, guys. I like you, but not that much. But you two are welcome to join me anytime you like. Just let me know. And um, yeah, I'm having a lot of fun with it. Excuse me again. I got a tickle in my throat. I felt like that would be weird to cough on the mic and just like <laughs> let the audience suffer through it. But I think that's about all we have for you this week. Uh, that's what we've been playing. That's the news. We appreciate you guys hanging out here every Tuesday night on youtube over at ben is handsome yt and i think most of the time on the handsome phantom channel as well as long as i can get it to work it didn't work last week but i don't know why that's another story entirely support us on patreon over at patreon.com slash handsome phantom we appreciate it it's especially valuable for those of you we have many more people who listen on audio than are viewing us right now and that's totally fine we like you no matter where you're listening and whether you support or not we'll like you even more if you come and hang out on the discord handsomephantom.com slash discord We won't like you less if you don't, but we will like you more if you do. Hope that wasn't too confusing. Uh, We appreciate it. We're going to hang out and figure out the episode title here. Um, But we will see you all next week. I think we're back on Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. And uh, we'll go from there. Thanks and good night. The HP Podcast is sponsored by our proud patrons over at patreon.com slash handsomephantom. The following members are at the $5 level, and we appreciate their contribution. Toby Ryland, Edward Walton, Josh Cummings, Hoot, Boots, 
Passive Pixels Edwin Castillo, Maurice Bays, Htrons, Nuke Dukem, Derek O, Grabalicious, Benji Bop, and Link. <laughs>